1: The following podcast is a dear media production first is really for our community. It, it's not, you know, I'm not the face of it. It's not my brand. It's for them. It's they are making it and we are helping, you know, to do that. Welcome to Breaking Beauty, the podcast all about the breakthrough people,
2: products and moments in beauty. We're your hosts, Jill Dunn and Carleen Higgins.
0: Breaking Beauty fam. Thanks for tuning in once again. I'm Jill Dunn. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that myself and Carlene Higgins, my co-host. Hey, Carlene. Hi. We are both beauty editors from the magazine world back in the day, and we're turned beauty podcasters now, of course. And so it brings us extra joy to be sitting down with an amazing beauty entrepreneur who comes from the world of publishing as well. And today we're speaking with Catherine Power, co-founder of Who, What, Where.
2: Catherine started the hugely popular website back in 2006 with co-founder Hilary Kerr. I remember back in the day, it was all about street style and shopping the look. And now they're best-selling authors, and the company has launched even more media brands like Birdie and My Domain before venturing into consumer goods, including a size-inclusive fashion line and athletic apparel with Target. It's reported their commerce arm is now
0: a $100 million business. And in 2019, they ventured into the world of beauty with Verst. That's V E R S E D. If you guys aren't familiar, I've talked about it on the show many times. And Verst is a community driven, clean drugstore skincare brand that really I think was genius, Carlene, because it filled a white space when it comes to making the whole category of clean beauty, more accessible. And I remember when we talked to skincare by Hiram back in September, he was saying how he thought Verst was poised to be the next CeraVe. Mm-hmm. The next budget
2: line to watch. Mm-hmm. And Jill, I know earlier this year, you had sent me the article from the New York Times called the $20 luxury face cream. I feel like that kind of sums up where we're going in beauty right now, all about low cost skincare that does have a luxury vibe too. And I feel like Verst is just topping that list.
0: Definitely. And if you guys haven't tried the line before, a gateway product to get on your radar is the Press Restart Gentle Retinol Serum, which is $22.
2: Yeah, it has both encapsulated retinol and its gentler counterpart, Bakuchiol, in it, which is interesting. Usually you just have one or the other, not both. And I used it for about two weeks. I actually used it every night because I have sensitive skin, but it said it was designed for sensitive skin. So I felt like it would be safe. You know, after that two week period, I definitely felt some tingling going on as you do with retinol, which is all about driving that cell turnover to achieve that fresh skin. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I felt like my skin was a little bit more refined after that period and I would keep using it.
0: Baby skin. 22 bucks. Hell yeah. Bring on the baby skin. I love their Guards Up Daily Mineral Sunscreen. It's a broad spectrum SPF 35. That just launched this past summer. And it has almost like a pinkish cast to it. It's a universal shade. And the main ingredient is non-nano zinc oxide. So it really blends beautifully onto the skin. Feels like you're wearing nothing. The finish is not too dewy, not too matte. And what I really appreciated about the innovation with this formula is that they're bringing the product in at such a great price point, of course. It's $21. They also worked hard to make sure it looked seamless on every skin tone. Certainly on myself, I can speak to the fact that it looked great. I also saw women of color like Shawnee Darden saying that they really liked it as well. So I think that 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 is something of note as well. Mm -hmm. I like that it made my skin kind of glowy instead of Mm -hmm. chalky that you sometimes
2: Mm -hmm. get with zinc formulas. Huge news announcement that broke yesterday. Catherine is now on the cusp of launching a brand new line of prestige color cosmetics called Merit, which will be available direct to consumers starting January 12th.
0: So happy to be able to get the podcast exclusive on Mm -hmm. this launch news, right, Carlene? So... A lot of the products in the line are under embargo. So we're not able to divulge too much just yet. But we do know that they're going to be available on their website. And they will also be at a major retailer. So stay tuned for that. So we have a lot to get to today. Catherine's career
2: has had a lot of twists and turns. So if your own career path isn't a straight shot, don't worry. She's going to share with us all of the key stepping stones that would lead to her success
0: and ultimately to the world of beauty. We'll find out the secrets behind her blockbuster skincare hit first. And we even ask her about the SEO skincare search term that helped to inform some of the brand's cult favorites. Plus, stay tuned until the end to hear the official reveal on the new makeup line, including the celebrity who's already been test driving it, giving her feedback.
2: Keep your eyes peeled on our Instagram too. We have some video footage from our chat, along with details on an exclusive contest we'll be offering with both first and merit. You guys are going to love this stuff. Here she is, Catherine Power. So uh, rolling back to long before you were a serial entrepreneur, tell us about where you grew up and a little bit about your parents and how they influenced you.
1: You know, I'm from Southern California my whole life. I was a very serious dancer from a young age, and that that really helped to shape me, I think, quite a bit just as a person and, and as an entrepreneur and from a young age was, you know, in a performing company and auditioning and doing, you know, television and film and, sort of learned about, you know, resilience and and dedication and hard work and how that could pay off. And I didn't go to a traditional sort of school, dipped in and out of regular school and did a lot of home study and ultimately graduated really early um, from high school to start working. But I always say sort of dance was my my school experience, my high school, all of my, you know, relationships came from from that. Now I look at things and decisions I make and I think, You know, I don't really hear the word no. That's sort of like, you know, something that that came to me very early because as a as a dancer, you know, you are told no for various reasons. You know, you're too tall, you're too old, you're too young, your hair's not red enough, like all of these different things, no matter how hard you've worked. And you have to kind of learn that no is not a dead end. It's just a change, of course. So I think that's, you know, something that that I've definitely applied Subconsciously and now consciously to everything I do as an entrepreneur because I was uh, emancipated uh, at the age of about 16. I was emancipated in order to work on a movie set. Um, I did the film Austin Powers when mm. I was a teenager. And, you know,
2: yeah, baby. Yeah, exactly. Remember that
1: one? <laughs> M- most kids get emancipated if, you know, you hear these horror stories. Their parents are taking their money. They, you know, their parents abandoned them. The, you know, I did it Truth, like My mom drove me to the courthouse. We did it too so that I could work adult hours and basically take this job because they said, you know, oh, yeah. if if you want to do it, you, you have to be emancipated. So that allowed me to become, uh, a, an adult. And so therefore I started my work career a lot earlier, even, you know, as far as being in an office, um, ended up working for a producer and that sort of just led to the next step and the next step and the next step. And I always had this entrepreneurial spirit. So, right.
0: Mm-hmm. So we were reading that, uh, you know, after you left your career in dancing and you'd moved on from Austin powers and you were really kind of you know had you had a lot of connections within the hollywood nightlife you know this was sort of around the time as i understand it that we're like before iPhones before tmz so can you tell us about a celebrity moment that was just so la after dark that like is you know that you're going to remember forever
1: oh there were so many great memories yeah i grew up and and was in nightlife when I think it was just the best time to be there, you know, it was, you know, before you could take a camera to to a club and tabloids were just kind of starting the paparazzi were just kind of starting, so, you know, people really came out to dance and and the music of the time really embraced that. So we, you know, it was like the Britney Justin dance-off that allegedly happened and, you know, it was being there that night or you know, so many memories of, you know, Jay-Z or other musicians coming into the club. And now it's just like so full circle, Jay-Z is one of my investors in one of my brands. Yeah, it was a great time to be in, in Hollywood and, you know, made a lot of great friendships and a lot of great relationships that I still have. And you know people that I've worked with, you know, and people that are just really great friends.
0: I know. I was just like, <laughs> I was like, come on, Catherine, give us some tea. Like, I want to know was there a Kardashian rejected at the door, or, like, or a that Lindsay was that Lohan era. moment? I feel like
1: this was really the, you know, the it was the big. It was like Rachel Zoe, and you know, she was dressing all of the young, you know up and coming celebrities at the time. And so it was just so fun, the fashion of it all.
2: And in a roundabout way, that led you to working in editorial, which I feel like is, is kind of a tough leap to make. Right. So how did that happen for you?
1: I worked for Bolt House, which you may remember from the Hills. So it was it was part of the the storyline on the Hills. I worked there many years before the characters from the Hills did, but basically, you know, I started to see we had these normal nights. So it went, Mondays was this club, Wednesdays was this club, Thursday you were here, and every week, you know, we had you know, the the hottest celebrities, stylists, tastemakers of every sort coming under our roof. And I started to get calls from brands that would say, you know, would it be okay if I set up a, a booth inside your nightclub to hand out, you know, my products or Can I, you know, give you guys this, you know, soda that I just came out with to put on your tables for bottle service or can I stand outside your club and give out, you know, clothing? And I thought, wow, like this is this is access that no one else has. There's got to be a way to to leverage that and monetize it beyond just alcohol sales. And so I went to you know pitch uh, my boss at the time this concept of creating a branding division, and that was kind of my first experience with integrated marketing, which is something that we do now at Who What Where. It's you know half of our business. So it was really this idea that you know we could integrate product super organically and get the right people in front of it to use it, and ultimately they were photographed with it, and and it would help drive sales. So that's, you know, that was my career kind of in, in marketing and branding. And then from there, you know, I really wanted to get into publishing and specifically, you know, fashion and beauty. And, you know, I really loved the teen magazines at the time because I felt like it was a much more approachable take on fashion. And, you know, the price points were mixed. You had L girl, teen Vogue, um, you know, teen people, Cosmo girl, etc cetera. And, I'm one of those people like when someone asks me, what's your advice for an entrepreneur or somebody, you know, wanting to, to start a career or start over, I always say, you know, find something you love to do and then figure out a way to get paid for it. And that's exactly, you know, what I did with with publishing. I, you know, would just devour these magazines and create my own trend reports and was just so, you know, into this idea that one person could impact the next person to wear this and make this and then we'd buy it and you know that's kind of what started it so from there i really went after all of the you know teen publications that i wanted to work for and you know it turned out that on if you were on the west coast working for one of these magazines you're generally the person that would book the celebrity covers so that's how I, I really got in at L was through my, you know, relationships on the on the West Coast with, you know, celebrities and publicists and, you know, new stores that were coming up and restaurants. It was really my job to, you know, uh, I booked all the covers for for our teen magazine. Um, and then for Elle, I really just sort of took anything that was coming out of the West Coast and and translated it back to the team in New York to, to cover it. So it seemed like a total pivot, but, you know, it was really applying a lot of skills and relationships that were very special to me and, and, and taking that into the publishing world. Absolutely. That's what it's all about when it comes
2: to trying to land a celebrity on the cover, those relationships for sure.
1: Yes. And I remember that we, you know, Elle Girl was one of the first magazines to fold. And Mm -hmm. Jack Klieger, who was the president of uh, Hachette Filipaki Media, which owned Elle at the time, you know, he called Mm -hmm. us all up and he said, you know, we've decided to fold Elle Girl and turn it into a website because we believe this generation is going to stop reading print, basically. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, you know, sparked our interest. But it was such a bummer because the last cover I booked was Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen for Elle Girl. And that was my, you know. North Star while I was there I was trying to <laughs> to uh, <laughs> wrangle yeah to to get them on the cover so that was disappointing but I've gone on to work with uh both of them on on many things throughout the years so it turned out okay
0: so you know so when you launched who what where it was about 2006 is that right that's right okay so why did it hit so big at that time and do you remember like what your most viral story was back then like What just kept the clicks coming at the time? Our
1: first story was little leather jackets. And it was that moment in time where you had all the sort of cropped, boy-cut leather motorcycle jackets. The models were wearing it. The young celebrities were wearing it. And we, you know, created this sort of trend report around it. And we always paired, you know, celebrity street style with runway and and the product itself and where you could buy it. And that just took off. And I think, you know, my my co-founder, Hillary brought such a unique voice to fashion. You know, it was really our goal from day one has been to make style accessible to everybody. We really felt like, you know, back then it was just the big print magazines and we felt like they kind of spoke down to women and, you know, they felt too exclusive. And we really wanted to bring a friendly voice to the fashion industry and, and translate what, you know, it was that Anna Wintour was trying to communicate to us. So I think that struck a chord with a lot of people and we were we were really giving people what they were also curious about at the time and you know similarly we never published any gossip or any we never said anything bad about anyone it was like you know our motto if you don't have anything nice to say we just don't cover it so we became a really safe place too for celebrities to consume content in a time where you had you know Perez Hilton and X17 and you know all of the weekly tabloids that We're really, you know, tearing them apart, but like they want to see the same pictures we want to see. So I had a celebrity following very early on and we were lucky to have them, you know, talk about us in the media, talk about us on their MySpace page because this was, you know, before everybody was using Facebook and then it just took off from there. You
2: launched with, you know, a newsletter, a website, and then um, developed click brands that grew into sister media brands like Birdie and My Domain and Shopping Apps that kind of all stacks up. But I'm curious about, again, taking another leap into licensing brands like Who, What, Where with Target, which became hugely successful because that just feels like a whole different thing. And if I think back to those days or even before those days, do you remember seeing like L merch that you'd see at the airport or, you know, there'd be an ad for like an L pair of sunglasses or something? It's like nobody was buying that, you know? So, yeah, how did you kind of make that leap and make it a successful licensing deal?
1: You know, from day one, Hillary and I really wanted to create apparel just to further the mission of making fashion accessible to everybody. So, you know, we we were starting who we are in a time where all of a sudden, no matter where you lived, you could buy from the same retailers as the people in the big cities or you know, we were all sharing inspiration from, you know, Copenhagen to Kansas, you know, what people were wearing and, and, you know, you could kind of see that on a daily basis. And There was really no fast fashion in America at that time. So, you know, it was before Topshop had come to the the US and H&M was around, but it was more kind of just like basics and really the only uh, place you could get sort of trend forward at a low price was Target through their designer collaboration. So they, you know, started them right around the time that we launched to What Wear and, you know, we would cover them and they would sell out really quickly. And we thought, you know, there's got to be a way to make, the stuff that we see that we know, you know, are going to hit as trends, like make them affordable and produce them in in mass quantities where they can be available wherever people live to go and pick up this merchandise. And we said that, you know, from really from day one. And then, you know, we grew the company, we built it and, and by about 2015, beginning of 2015, We got a call from uh, a woman who was an employee at Target for about 20 years. And then afterwards, she went to run a brand consultancy. And She was actually one of the people that started the brand collaborations at Target. So she said, you know, have you guys ever thought about doing a a line at Target? We said, yes, we've always thought about it. We kind of got together with her and our manufacturing partner and really put together this whole opportunity that would become the Who Wear collection. And we said to Target, you know, we would love to take a really data driven approach to creating our products so we had amassed this you know giant following in the way of you know web visitors and newsletter subscribers and social media followers and we said you know we currently use data to inform the kind of content that we create could we do the same thing with design so you know, we said we'd love to kind of pull back the curtain on the design process, let our community see what we're doing, let them vote on things, let, let them give us feedback. And, you know, to Target's credit, they let us do that. And, you know, it's it, the the big organizations like that are very private, they're very secretive, they don't want to share a lot of information, but we did it and basically... You know leverage the the information we were getting from our consumers you know by referring them out to different retailers you know we're tracking the purchases from you know neiman marcus to h m to see what people are buying together what trends are taking off you know price points silhouettes all that stuff and then we'd actually ask them specific questions do you like this print or this print do you want more dresses or do you want a top what are you searching for in march you know all of those things. And those went into, you know, reports and and insights that we gave the design team. And then ultimately it was a huge, huge success. And of course, we're marketing the product back to the women that helped create it. So they became a a great, you know, kind of word of mouth marketer for us as well. Well,
0: Catherine, you've had like so many entrepreneurial hits, like you're you're not averse to risk. <laughs> we can see this. So uh, especially in the fashion and tech space, I think there were so many ventures at that time that were, you know, this app and that app and some things like were really successful and other things were not so much. Can you give us an example of a, like something that maybe didn't pan out for you? Like, I'm sure it wasn't just this linear path and all the different things that you've tried.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've looked at so many different opportunities and business models, you know, throughout the year it was like everybody was betting big in video and we just i just couldn't justify it and then everybody in video went under and then it was like the flash sale thing and we we couldn't you know wrap our head around that i think you know there's never been anything that i look at and say that was a big mistake or that was a failure because it always kind of got us to a different place that ended up being better So I just never, you know, I never really think about it in that way. But listen, as a growing company, you make tons of mistakes from, you know, making the wrong hires to not watching a certain budget, you know, as you should be and just picking the wrong investors. I mean, just there's there's tons of things that can go awry, but I wouldn't like go back and change any of that, I think, because ultimately you always get to kind of a better outcome. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms.
2: And then tell us about, about Burst and why you decided to launch that in 2019.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the who, what, Wear collection had been a really big success for us and we knew we wanted to get into beauty and we really went out to our community and started talking to them. You know, what are you missing? What are you not finding at your stores that you're shopping at? You know, what what's changing in your lifestyle that makes you want something different? And then at the same time, we were going out to our retail partners and saying, you know, What's the white space in your aisle? And, you know, why don't you have this yet? And, you know, who how many people are asking for you to do, you know, that? And it kind of all came together and we ended up with two, you know, ideas or or two different theses, if you will. But one was versed. So this concept of of clean skincare at affordable pricing. So You know, we were speaking to our audience and we learned that over half of them were still discovering all their beauty products in drugstores. So we were talking to women that said, you know, I live two hours from a Sephora, you know, or I can't afford to go to a Blue Mercury or, you know, what is this new D2C brand? I've never heard of it. I'm not giving it, you know, my credit card. So it was really eye-opening, I think, because I didn't didn't realize that, you know, so much of our beauty consumption was still happening in drugstores. And yet the consumer was asking for cleaner products, starting to ask for more sustainable packaging. And when we looked at the drugstore aisle, it really hadn't changed in about 50 years. So to us, there was this huge opportunity. And, you know, we were able to, because we had such great retailer relationships, we were able to put this brand verse together and open at such massive scale that we were able to buy you know, the best quality formulations for the lowest price, you know, which I think is, is is truly an advantage if you're, you know, a small direct-to-consumer business and you're starting out for the first time, you know, you're kind of setting your prices, you're setting your margin, you really have to pass that on to the customer, you know, because we were able to, to buy at such volume and open in, you know, I think we, we launched in 1,450 doors on day one, it really helped us get, you know, absolutely the best quality formulation. So we put that opportunity together. And, you know, Verst is really for our community. It's not, you know, I'm not the face of it. It's not my brand. It's for them. It's they are making it and we are helping, you know, to do that. And um, our team is so inspired around, um, you know, sustainability. And I think we have, you know, the most impressive um, ethical platform probably that's out in that category today, just across, you know, sustainability and ingredients and all of the things that we're doing at the various touch points. Um, but it's been incredibly well received um, by the consumers. And it's just so exciting to see that come to life and read the product reviews and know that it's making such an impact for so many people.
0: And I don't know if we said this, I probably missed it, but it's at Target, right? It's not in drugstores necessarily. Or do you say the same? It's one and the same.
1: I I mean, I would consider drug mass category to be kind of the same thing. So, yes, it's available in all Target stores across uh, the country. It's available in Shoppers Canada, available on online retailers like Cult Beauty in the UK and Revolve here in the United States. And we are expanding rapidly and internationally over the next couple of months. So that, you know, we're we're at about, I think, 3,000 retailers today, and that's going to change pretty dramatically over the next couple of months.
0: Ooh! Any hints where you're going next?
1: Um, I will. They'll the team would just kill me. I don't think I can <laughs>
0: s- scoop okay, that. But we'll be we'll be announcing it really soon. You know, the community really gave their input in what they were looking for. What was the white space, or what was their product that you really were like? Oh, this is something everyone's asking for. Aside from like the broader picture, the clean, the s- sustainability, cruelty free,
1: dullness was a really common concern, skin dullness. And, you know, I think it was surprising to me, but if I think about it, it's one of my concerns. So it shouldn't be that surprising, but we came out with some really strong uh, products that kind of, you know, create this resurfacing effect, give a brighter complexion, um, our brightening serum, our overnight facial peel. We have a number of great sort of exfoliating products. So that was a big one. Um, The other thing we learned is that, you know, Historically, skincare has been like this is for acne, this is for anti-aging, this is for, you know, XYZ. And people have multiple skin concerns at the same time. So we saw people searching anti-aging plus acne. And so we we knew we needed to create a, a line that could be mixed and matched completely um, to allow you to solve for several different concerns. And so I think that was again, shouldn't have been surprising, but based on the way that skincare had been merchandised in the past you know, was just sort of overlooked.
0: Now, when I got my hands on Verse, one of the first things that I did was
1: compare it because I love a dupe.
0: And the Skin Soak moisturizer is out there on the web. A lot of people are saying it's a dupe for La Mer. Can you confirm or deny or have any?
1: <laughs> do you have anything to say about that? Oh, well, that's a great accomplishment. I actually had not heard that. So thank you <laughs> for telling me that. Um, no, that's great. I have really dry skin. So for me, I needed, um, you know, a heavier moisturizer. And then we have our, our lighter gel, the Dewpoint gel moisturizer, which is a number one bestseller. But it has been incredibly exciting to see our particularly our moisturizers and our cleansers are responsible for a tremendous amount of growth now in the skincare category overall. And that's I think when you know you're really doing something right, um, because those are such big, big categories.
2: Going back to just the brand ethos, I think it's absolutely genius that you did manage to find this white space because let's face it, there's not a lot in beauty and in skincare because there are so many brands out there. But I definitely think, you know, over the past decade, clean beauty has been the biggest growing category for sure. And as editors, we know ourselves. People did want affordable options and it was tended to be indie brands that were coming up. They couldn't afford to be affordable, frankly. So hitting at this at this spot is definitely, as you say, just answers the call of what people have wanted for so long. So I think that's, you know, amazing that they can get that in this day and age. Having said that, you know, the category of clean beauty over the past year, there's been a lot of dialogue amongst cosmetic chemists, and there are a lot of like, science scientific influencers now. This is another trend that's coming up um, where they're getting more and more vocal on social media and sort of saying, "Well, what is clean beauty?" You know that you know that sort of implies that everything else is dirty, and I wonder if you've been following this conversation and how you know how you would sort of respond to those types of, of ideas. I mean on our on our show, we're all about choice. So we like to present both sides and all ideas and people can make their own choice, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because this is a, a call from the consumer. It's not, you know, the brands necessarily standing up and saying like, this is what it means and this is why you should like it. This is, you know, this happened in other categories first. So I think we saw clean eating, right? And is there a true definition of that? No, but the consumers have kind of created one. And I think then we saw it in beauty and you know for us as a brand we took a stand and we're saying this is what it means to us just like a lot of other brands or retailers are doing but mm-hmm. ultimately i think you know clean and this m- most of the ideals that we all kind of share around clean should be table stakes at this point like you really shouldn't be coming out with a brand unless it meets you know certain criteria for us it means you know, formulating to EU standards at a minimum. So that's eliminating 13, you know, potentially harmful ingredients. We take it a step further and really look at clean holistically. We look at, you know, the body. Is it good for the body? Are there known, you know, hormone disruptors or anything that could mess with your systems? Are there things in there that are bad for your skin? You know, things that cause inflammation or acne. And then number three, is it is it good for the planet? So that's our choice at first. And that's kind of how we think about it. But I think, you know, all of the brands that are going to be coming out are going to take some position around clean and then hopefully that'll just be sort of the norm.
2: Then we don't have to use that word. It's just, you know,
1: it yeah. just is what it is. And I just launched in this this summer I launched a clean wine brand. So it's, yes, it's uh, with Cameron Diaz, right? Yes. And so, <laughs> so that cool. industry is going through this whole upheaval of like what is clean and what does it mean and it's just so funny cuz it's exactly what I saw happen with the beauty industry. But again, this is, you know, a call we're answering from the customer and the mm-hmm. consumer. So it's, you know, you, you got to figure out what it means To you as a brand and a retailer and and if it's going to satisfy them.
0: And so we're going to pivot a little bit because today when this episode airs will be December 2nd and we're able to help you share some really exciting news about what you've been working on behind the scenes. So you're actually getting into the world of prestige clean makeup. So yes. tell us about your venture, what it's called, and what you can share so far.
1: Yes, breaking beauty here. Um, <laughs> it's a, a new brand I'm I'm launching called Merit. We just announced it. Merit, I, I mentioned when we did um, a bunch of research with our Who What Wear community, this was uh, gosh like four and a half years ago at this point, two opportunities came out of that. One, which is Versed, and the other, which is Merit. And, you know, Merit has been Probably my most personal project. I'm super, super hands-on with every touch point of it. And so it's taken a really long time to for me to bring it to market. It's also, as you mentioned, color cosmetics. And that's really, you know, hard to do um, and have it meet the standards that we want to meet as far as clean and sustainability. So it really came from, you know, understanding that there was this need for kind of this new category that I think of as minimalist beauty. Someone like me who grew up, you know, using um, prestige and luxury brands like Lancome and Clinique and Bobby Brown and, you know, always gravitating towards this sort of natural looking makeup you know, but wanting kind of what is a, a modern version of this? What is a brand that, you know, I identify with emotionally? Merit is is the antidote to the, you know, 50 shade palette dropping every week, like newness, 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 excess, excess. And it's really about, you know, beautiful, efficient, you know well-edited beauty it's it is luxury so you know we've really created it to kind of reimagine luxury beauty by making it you know clean and well-edited and accessible so we're priced about 30% below traditional luxury brands it's this beautiful brand that i think will you know kind of connect more to the older millennial the you know even gen x you know because i was going out to shop and either wasn't finding great formulas or I was finding a lot of brands geared towards Gen Z. And that's, you know, I just didn't connect with them emotionally. So really excited to to launch Merit. It's everything that you need to get your makeup done in about five minutes. And it's, you know, being sick during, you know, during this time and having COVID and being in this lockdown, I think really further defined the the brand positioning of Merit because it's all based around this idea that less is more. And, you know, we've spent now the last eight months understanding, like, we don't need fake eyelashes. Our natural hair texture is fine. We can wear bare nails. Like, we just don't need as much. And Merit is truly, you know comfortable, easy to wear, beautiful makeup for every day. Of
0: course, you get the consumer feedback. But, you know, you're really entrenched in the world in L.A. You know, a lot of very influential people and makeup artists and stuff. And so was there anybody you were like, test this out for me? What do you think? Like, I feel like it's part and parcel of creating a makeup brand these days.
1: I have kind of this whole like, you know, panel of merit, we're calling them. But it's basically um different, you know, people in in the industry or in, you know, Hollywood that are that are helping me test and formulate products from, you know, amazing, you know, estheticians like Biba de who's who's kind of known here in in Los Angeles for her celebrity skincare and just she has this very infamous no list that she won't let her clients use any ingredients from this list and so we've kind of brought her list into our criteria and um she's, you know, on the panel you know, there's a lot of great um, and inspiring women who are helping to kind of hone in on the on the formulations as well. So
0: no, you can't name any makeup artists.
1: We will at some point. I mean, at this point, it's like, hey, friend, come to my house. I want to show some, you know, some things to you. And hey, I'm going to messenger you this. So it's it's really, you know, just sort of based on my own relationships at this point. We don't have any you know, formal, you know, relationship, but Cameron's testing products all the time has a couple of favorites already coming out in the line. And a lot of people who've used a lot of products, whether they're, you know, technical experts in, in makeup and skincare, or, you know, just, just celebrities that have, that have been in that world for a long time.
0: I know you can't maybe say too, too much, but I think our listeners would love to know, like, which product do you predict will be the hero and what do you think makes it really unique from a lot of the other products that are out there?
1: We haven't announced our starting lineup yet, but, you know, what I can say is that it's it's everything that you need to do your makeup in five minutes and really nothing you don't.
0: So elegant, the packaging, you know, the the onslaught of palettes that we've received as beauty editors in the last five years. And it's finally, I think, slowing down a little bit for all the reasons that you mentioned. And I think this is definitely hitting at the right time and show you guys on social media when we can, because we did get our hot little hands on it. Moving on a little bit to some career advice, because I feel that we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our show and, you know, you've had a lot of different career paths, Catherine, and you've you've done so fearlessly, but didn't necessarily have like formal training in one area. You just kind of jumped in, figured it out, did it, made it successful. And I feel like that's kind of scary to do for a lot of people. So what's your advice for anyone who is maybe thinking about a change or who's in those shoes right now and they just want to like tap into that uh, fearlessness a bit?
1: You know, being an entrepreneur is a little bit like taking a left-hand turn at an intersection that has no light. I've said this before. And if you, if you drive, you kind of understand this, but you know, you kind of have to inch yourself out into oncoming traffic, right? And you just kind of keep looking side to side. It feels like everybody's watching you. It feels scary and crazy, but the more that you push yourself to just inch forward every single day, you're going to get to a point where you can make that turn. And once you make that turn, you're going to beat out all the people that waited at the light. And I think to me, that's, what it feels like to, to start something new, to take a chance to, to try to build the business. You just have to kind of chip away at it every day, you know, keep your eye on where you're trying to go and, you know, just, just let it, let it happen, but, but get it done. Like, don't wait for, you know, the perfect partner to come along, the perfect amount of funding, the perfect, whatever it is, just, get yourself to market in whatever it is that you want to do by kind of moving yourself forward a little by little every day.
2: And having juggled all of these enterprises, you're also a mom. Tell us how you pull off this ultimate balancing act uh, without ever stretching yourself too thin.
1: Sure. Well, I do feel stretched thin all the time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I waited until I was a bit older than a lot of my friends to have my son. And I knew that you know, for me, I needed to do it at a time where, you know, I was far enough along in my businesses that I had great executive teams who could, you know, really pick up the slack and run the business for me, you know, when I needed to go, you know, be a mom or go through maternity leave or whatever it was. And that I, you know, was able to have, you know, resources and help at home to to help to support me so that I could be, a, you know, a great boss and I could, you know build these these great brands for our customers. So, you know, for me that's what worked. Everybody has a different way of going about it. I think I have friends that I look at now who are my age and their kids are teenagers and they're just done. You know, they're like, you know, and they say to me, "Okay, I did that. First, now I want to launch what is my career?" And so they're asking me for that. So it's, you know, there's no wrong way to go about it. You just have to do it in a way that works for you and you know, I have had a lot of expectations go through my head. Am I doing enough? Am I doing this right? Am I doing that? I have a friend who her father is, you know, a very successful person in, in his business and was away all the time and worked like crazy. And yet I look at their family and they're, you know, the, the closest family now as adult children of anyone I've ever seen. And You know, I at one point asked her, you know, was it hard for you? Your dad was always gone, you know, because that's how I felt. I was always gone from my son, certainly when we were in times where we would travel. And she said, you know what? You're always going to be the mom. And, you know, as long as you're there, you know, I'm there in the most important time in the morning, the most important time in the night, like with some consistency, that's all that matters. And so that was such a relief to me to hear that, that, you know, no matter what happens, you're always the mom. And that took a lot of pressure off of me, but certainly it's, it's not easy and I don't think anybody should think it's easy or think that it's all gonna be perfect. You got like a cherry bomb